Because it's a conversation I think you also want a lot of answers to. It's going to be 0891-104-207. We're discussing indemnity forms. We're discussing disclaimers and so on. My guest this afternoon is Maria Philippides, partner at Weber Wenzel. Joins me now on the line for a really in-depth conversation. Maria, thank you so much for joining us. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Pamela. Thank you for having me on your show. I remember a while ago, I didn't even know what year that was. You had written an article around disclaimers. You had written an article around indemnity forms. We're here now looking for those answers again. How well informed are we all? And better yet, how well informed are the people that are supposed to advise us on indemnity forms? Well, uh, listening to the stories over the news over the last couple of days, I don't think that we as a general public are very well informed at all. I think there's quite a misconception as to what indemnity forms are for and who they are meant to protect. And I just want to make it clear from the outset, indemnity forms that uh, parents, for example, are required to sign before children are sent on a camp or anything to that effect, are not designed to protect the parents or the children. Um, the, The purpose of such a form is to protect the person who is providing the service from being held liable for any consequences that may arise from their actions or their inaction in providing a service. Maria, this afternoon we got news coming through from the Gauteng Department of Education where they are now saying from now henceforth they require that schools have to get permission from the department to go on these camps and so on. What I'm hearing is a department that's almost gearing itself up for just being informed. It doesn't better safeguard the well-being of the child or the parent, does it? Because if the if the if the what's it called, the, 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 the place where they're going to is going to give them the same indemnity form, nothing changes, does it? No, that's quite correct. And I can understand why the Department of Education would be doing that. I mean, they would be liable for all of the actions of their public schools. And there are thousands of public schools out there and thousands of learners that go to the public schools. So I can understand them wanting to be informed as to what um, dangers or what activities their learners are being exposed to. Should So in I don't know, obviously, and I don't think you've seen it. I don't know who drew up the indemnity form, right? So the indemnity form that the parents signed, Mm -hmm. would it have been an addendum to an indemnity form that comes from the place where they were going to? Okay, so let me perhaps just take a step back and try and explain what is usually contained in an indemnity form. Um, An indemnity form would usually, you know, it could be as simple as saying um, liability for any events is excluded. Or it can go into some detail as to what events are going to take place and what responsibilities the service provider is willing to take on or not take on. So usually with these types of indemnity forms, they come to the parent from the school. 
And it can either be um, the author, could be the school itself, which says we, the school, are going to take your children on a camp or take them to do certain activities. And whilst every care will be taken in looking after your children, we can't foresee every foreseeability, uh, every event that could happen. And as a result, we do not accept liability for any claim that may arise as a result of our negligence or other conduct. Now, what that means is that the school is saying, when I take your child, I realize I'm responsible, but if I'm negligent or if my employees are negligent, you can't sue me. Okay. That, that explains it. It doesn't explain. So, so the department now is saying we, we want to assume some responsibility and protecting yes. you going forward. Right. In this case, if you were to handle this case, though, who is who would you actually litigate against? So we would have to have a look at the circumstances of the case, and they differ in each case. And in this particular one, we don't have all the facts. So unfortunately, yes, okay. we, we can't give all of that. But we would look at the people who were responsible for the activity or that were responsible for looking after the child at the time, whether it is the school or whether it is the owner or organizer of the camp would depend on the circumstances. So maybe in a roundabout way, I'm asking the fact that perhaps, and obviously all of this is hypothetical because we don't know, the fact that perhaps the parents did not sign an indemnity form with the camp owners, does it then mean that it changes everything a little bit? So yes and no. Everybody has the right to sue a wrongdoer in respect of that person's negligent conduct that caused the victim harm. Irrespective of the indemnity form? Irrespective of the indemnity form. What an indemnity form does is act as a defense to that action to say, because you signed the indemnity form, I'm not liable for that conduct for which I would ordinarily have been liable because you agreed not to hold me liable. So in law, the liability exists, but the signing of the contract simply says to the court or whoever is adjudicating the matter that I don't have to be found liable. I am excused because Mm. you agreed not to hold me liable. In other words, giving away your rights. You give away your rights. What what is gross negligence? What is gross negligence? There's a difference between negligence and gross negligence. Mm. And I just want to say that in South African law, whilst the law exists that you can sign away your rights in respect of a wrongdoer's negligence, you cannot do so in respect of their gross negligence or their intentional conduct. So that means almost a complete abandonment of care Mm. of how I'm going to conduct an activity. You know, if a person is grossly negligent, it is so far off the mark of what they're supposed to be doing that a court will never condone that sort of conduct. And for that reason, one cannot contract out of their conduct, which amounts to gross negligence. So, so in other words, even though we may have this contract where I may have given away my rights, you still have to be accountable. And you, Yes, it, it will. You, yeah. It will not be enforceable if I have been so badly negligent. You know, sometimes we just make mistakes. Um, you know, it might be a small error where somebody's looking the other way and, and a child 
uh, is injured. Uh, it may not amount to gross negligence. It may amount to negligence. In those circumstances, whilst your conduct is not excused, what the indemnity uh, provides is that you cannot sue me for that because you agreed that in those circumstances I wouldn't be liable to you. What's, what's public policy, Maria? Public policy is, you know, what the people, the the community believes to be fair. And we always look at these considerations in determining whether an indemnity clause is going to be upheld or not. Um, It is not always strictly uh, enforced. A court will have a look at various circumstances and requirements. For example, is the clause fair? Um, Is it clear on what it covers and what it excludes? Did the parties understand what they were agreeing to and what's, um, what uh, rights they were giving away? You know, even though it has been signed, it doesn't mean that it will be upheld simply because it was signed. All of these considerations, which we call public policy, would have to be considered by a court in deciding whether to enforce um, such a clause or not. All right, I see lots of calls coming through already. The questions for you, Maria, 0891-104-207. Yanis, uh, is it Yanis? You're calling us from Cape Town. Hi. Hi, good afternoon. Thank you for taking my call. Absolute pleasure. Yes, uh, this is a tragedy. Definitely, I think we will learn from that tragedy. And in the future, there will be more responsibility from schools, departments, from the whoever taking part in the protection of such students. And they will learn. And of course, the, the uh, department, education department, had to pay, be had to pay for for the damage. To all, and the, the parents will get some money from that. Although it's a, the tragedy, money will never return this this this, this students back to them. But I would like to talk about other issue. Every 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 year, we are losing hundreds of of other youngsters during that circumcision during the bad situation in the, from the traditional leaders and nobody, we are, we are crying about it, but nobody suing them as well. Can, can, we, can we compare the, these two cases? Because it's really, it's really, really something has to be done from the financial point of view to those, who, to those parents who send their children into such a camp and they, they, they are dying there as well. So uh, I think we should be fair and we should also target the uh, traditional uh, leaders to recompensate the both the, the the children died already, but there has to be recompensation. And through that, there will be I think that responsibility and better care of these children because we cannot lose them like hundreds every 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 year. Yeah, but Janice, I mean, you you know that people make a decision whether to go ahead and litigate or not. We can't we can't impose that on families. No. Yes, definitely, definitely. But it's not only the family, but it's the, the nation tragedy as well. Yeah. So if the family doesn't want to go and take uh, and uh, charge the, 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 the whoever, I think that somebody there should do it because we are losing young generation, losing young people it's because of what? Of, of such a bad condition which they are supposed to. I think he's not right. Thanks very much. Maria, I think he's bringing in the, the responsibility then there of the state. What's your comment mm. to that? So, look, I think when somebody is injured, especially a child, there is always a right for a child or somebody on the child's behalf, a guardian, a legal guardian, a parent, to bring an action or lodge a claim against the wrongdoer in respect of the damage suffered by uh, that child. Ultimately, the court acts as higher guardian to a uh, to a child and make sure that the child's best interests are always protected 
but the, the state or a court will not go out on its own to seek to recover damages on behalf of a child. Uh, so that is why a legal guardian would be appointed to do so and would then have a duty to do so on behalf of the child. Once the child reaches the age of majority, he or she can obviously institute action in his or her own right. Harald, you're calling us from Durban. Good afternoon. Yeah, it's Gerald. I, I just want to so uh, highlight the, the issue of, of criminal negligence. And there's a good few politicians that are making a, a meal of this at the moment. And... You know, if, if they're going to pursue the, the individual teachers involved with criminal negligence, well, you can put the end of you can put an end to school outings, to school sport, to anything that involves the teacher outside of a classroom and extramural activities, because no one would want to take on uh, the, the responsibility of having a criminal case every mm-hmm. time a kid dies. In this country alone, there's a, there were a good uh, number of kids last year that fell into pit latrines, but. The, the very department and the politicians that are making a meal of this must also realize they are also criminally negligent because now they are making up policy on the cuff on this particular incident instead of having policies in place which, which regulated school kids on school outings. So they are as criminally negligent as those teachers. But Gerald, you know that, that the, the, the pit toilets cases have gone to court, right? Yes, I know that. And, and this very same education department has been very reluctant to pay uh, civil liability on those claims. You can Ma- go look it up. The same, the same minister that's making a real meal of this has been reluctant to pay those kids out. No, 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 and the fact, the fact is he is as criminally liable as those teachers. Gerald, I think... I think he has, not... He's had no policy in place. Gerald, just, just look, hear me out. I I wanna, yes, I was going to ask you to just come in and maybe uh, clarify that because these are two different uh, separate... Anyway, go ahead. Go ahead, Marie. Yes, there are two separate considerations yeah. altogether. On the one hand, we would have a civil claim for damages. What that means is the affected party would sue the wrongdoer in respect of negligence or whatever conduct and claim damages in respect of the harm that has been suffered. Those damages can take the form of hospital costs, loss of earnings, general damages for pain and suffering, and that sort of thing. On the other hand, we have a criminal justice system where a person can be prosecuted in respect of a crime. When it comes to the death of a child or another human being, one would first have an inquest, which would be a a sort of a trial in the court where a a magistrate would determine whether somebody could potentially be responsible in respect of the death of that person. And if it is found that somebody is likely to have been responsible, then criminal proceedings will be brought against the person who it was found in that inquest may have been responsible for the death. And it could be, it could range from murder, if it was intentional, if the conduct was intentional, to culpable homicide if the conduct was negligent. Now, I hear what Gerald says about trying to prosecute teachers um, in terms of the criminal law uh, where the government, he says, is not taking responsibility civilly, but I think there must be a distinction between the two. And, and very often, you know, it is in very rare cases that the prosecutors bring criminal proceedings against teachers or doctors or whatever the case might be in respect of actions where civil damages will suffice to compensate a person for their loss or the harm suffered. So we must look at the two distinctly.
You want to respond could to I that, just, Could I just add, could I just add something there? As I say, there are various politicians that are making a meal out of this and threatening those teachers with criminal liability. It, it, it's it's quite amazing that the very same politicians never held uh, Kodani Masangu criminally liable for the 141 patients that lost their lives under the care of the Department of Health. And still to date, no one's been held criminally liable for that. Neither has anyone been held criminally liable for the 34 miners that were gunned down at Marikana. So before these politicians get up and make a meal out of everything, they need to think back of where they've been criminally negligent. And if this was such an issue, a school outings, why wasn't there a policy in place? And are they, they are as criminally negligent as those teachers. That's what I'm saying. They are making a meal out of this. Gerald, the conversation was not about politicians. So, Maria, I think that, that, I mean, I don't think that warrants a response. I don't know if you want to respond to that. No, I think that uh, it's just a distinction to be made between the two types of actions. Is it Butuna? Butana, are you calling us from Rosebank High? Butana, Butana. Yes, Buti, I I don't write the script, so thanks very much for calling. Butana, thank you so much for your patience. Hi. Okay, you know, any party that do- doesn't play its role in a contract, mm-hmm. the contract becomes invalid. Explain that. You cannot that. hide behind that you do have a contract. Well, at the same time, you were grossly negligent. So you are exposing yourself to be taken to court, and then you must take responsibility for your action or non-action. Me, just elaborate, Budana. Just elaborate on what you're saying. I'm saying that indemnity form mm-hmm. is not going to uh, uh, protect anybody that didn't take care of the kids. Okay? Or that somebody that was so negligent or grossly negligent. That contract become invalid. Okay? What yes. is important... Is that uh, we are right? You have to establish what are the facts, but uh, that indemnity form is not a license for somebody to act irresponsibly. Protect the kids. Okay, well, I'm not sure. Absolutely <laughs> spot on. I think Botana makes a very good point, and he's absolutely right. Um, a, a the, simply the signing or the conclusion of an agreement not to hold somebody liable, this sort of agreement, will not protect somebody who has been grossly negligent and or who has intentionally harmed children. There is no way that a court will uphold a contract that says that somebody who was grossly negligent can escape liability in respect of that negligence. So he's quite correct. A court would find against the wrongdoer and the wrongdoer will be obliged to pay damages to the victim. I'm in conversation with Maria Filippides, who's a partner at Weber Wenzel. We're discussing all kinds of things, disclaimers, um, all kinds of uh, issues legally that have uh, pertaining to those indemnity forms, that uh, that story, obviously, uh, stemming from Parktown Boys, uh, the death of that young boy, a great eight-year-old, a uh, great year, eight boy who passed away at a camp. So we are discussing what rights we have, what parents' rights they have, what indemnity forms mean and all kinds of legal uh, implications that apply to this case and other cases like this one. I will take those calls on 891-104-207. It is now 1.30. Let's go to Uzi Lesaku for the latest in headlines. 
here, there, and everywhere. SAFM 105.7 FM in Cape Town. Maria Filipides is my guest. Uh, she's a partner at Weber Wenzel. We're discussing indemnity, indemnity forms. We're discussing disclaimers and all other things that are sort of in this vein. It doesn't have to be about this uh, school camp issue. It can be about all other scenarios that you may think of and you may have questions about. I will take your calls on 891 Let's just distinguish, uh, Maria, then the difference between that and a disclaimer. So you, you would go into a restaurant and there'd be a little... Um, a plaque, I suppose. What details should be on that plaque? In the form that is contained in a notice to be prominently displayed at a place where uh, patrons to the restaurant, for example, are likely to see it. And in addition to that, the, the, the notice, the wording of the notice must clearly express the intention of the restauranteur, for example, in not wanting to accept liability who it is that is not going to be accepting liability and in respect of what conduct or what uh, consequence they are not going to accept liability. So as long as the disclaimer clause is prominently displayed, is in clear and unambiguous language and in a language that the patrons are ordinarily expected to understand, then I think it will be applicable if somebody is injured or has a loss of property on the premises. So a vague plaque that says uh, we will not take responsibility for any injuries. Obviously, it doesn't have the detail of what type of injuries and under what circumstances. Mm. Um, There's that juxtaposed to a very detailed disclaimer with very fine print that actually I could miss walking into the restaurant because the the print (laughs) is so fine and it's so detailed. What's the ideal? I think the one is as bad as the other. Um, It must be, you know, you can say a lot with a few words. You don't have to have a lot of words on a a sign in order to make it legally enforceable. As long as the intention is clear and an ordinary patron visiting the premises understands what is meant uh, by that, then I think uh, it will be upheld. So, for example, if the restauranteur says that we, the owners of this restaurant, will not be held liable for injuries or loss of property to patrons visiting um, this building, uh, even as a result of our negligence, then I think that that kind of sign will be upheld. And provided that it was prominently displayed, it's, it's no use putting it on the back door, on the kitchen door at the back, where nobody is likely to see it. Um, it must be somewhere visible where patrons are likely to see and understand the sign. Maria, there more and more restaurants have those little play areas now um, and also yeah. have a caregiver, some, some, some sort of a caregiver. Yeah. And I, I don't really know what the contract is between themselves as a restaurant because I, you know, I, I don't ask. But, but what, what does that mean? So if you have that disclaimer maybe up front and yet there is this person who almost, I'd say, take responsibility. I don't know if that's the right word, but who mm. would take responsibility. And I'll, I'll tell you why I say that. It's because oftentimes you would even find a form where they would say, leave the name of your child and your details, whatever, so that we can get hold of you if for whatever reason we, you know, the child needs to go or whatever. So there is a, um, a, another step that they take to acknowledge receipt of your child. 
and yes. almost taking responsibility of the child. But then there's also the disclaimer. I, I'm trying to see where would a parent sit with their rights there. Okay. So very often those minders are employed by the restaurant. Mm. So the restaurant would be liable for their actions or their inactions if they were negligent or grossly negligent. And once you hand over your child as a parent, I think you're entitled to assume that they will be looking after your child in the play area, that they are aware of the dangers of the play area and that they are, they are going to be looking after your child. I also want to mention that in my view, and I think that this would be upheld by a court, the younger the child is, the greater the responsibility or the greater the duty of care towards that child because that child is less likely to appreciate danger on their own. And so, very often these play areas are for small children. So, so then the responsibility on who? I think that the, the responsibility would be, I mean, the, the very purpose of these play areas is so that parents are um, invited to come to this restaurant. Don't worry, you can have your meal. We'll be looking after your children. You won't be disturbed. And that's the very purpose that patrons would go there. So they hand over responsibility to their children, uh, of their children to the carers, and they assume that the carers would look after them. And I think that that's a reasonable assumption. Um, so one parent can expect that their child will be looked after. If their child is not looked after properly, let's say there was negligence. Uh, the carer just left her post and went off to the toilet or went off to talk to a friend who'd come to visit her and had abandoned her post. In those circumstances, one would assume that he or she had been negligent. And if the child is injured, there would be uh, an action, an actionable cause of action. One could sue for the damages. And, and this what? irrespective of that disclaimer. Right. Now, what happens if there's a disclaimer? What does that say? It doesn't mean that the, the person who's handed over their child has completely abandoned uh, their responsibility or their rights to sue if something happens. One would have to read that and one would have to look at the circumstances of the case. In circumstances which I've outlined before where uh, people are invited to come here, they are almost induced to come to this restaurant because of the play area, because they know that their child will be looked after, then I think that they have the right to assume that if they're not looked after, there will be consequences for that, and that would be in the form of an action. And one would have to look at what the what the clause says. Now, where I mentioned that, you know, the, the carer had gone off to talk to a friend, frankly, in my view, that's more than just negligent. That's grossly negligent, and irrespective of what the clause says, the, the exemption clause or the disclaimer clause will not be applicable in those circumstances. Here's an SMS, Maria. How does the indemnity form correspond with the new Consumer Act, which protects the consumer? This is an SMS from Charles. At Le uh, he's a ladysmith. Very good question. The Consumer Protection Act makes uh, provides additional protection uh, in to agreements that form that, that are actually consumer agreements, and such an agreement, going to a restaurant or taking a child on a camp would constitute such an agreement. And the protection that the Consumer Protection Act provides is to say that um, clauses which are not fair or which are unreasonable or unjust will not be upheld, so they will have no effect. And it also goes as far as to say, whilst uh, people can contract out of their own negligence, 
um, and that is uh, they cannot contract out of gross negligence or intentional conduct. So it just gives that added protection to ensure that clauses, uh, these sort of clauses are fair. And each time the court will determine that particular clause, will look at that particular clause to decide whether it was fair, reasonable and just. So we, we touched a little bit on public policy um, yes. in the interest of the community. I mean, we see all these demonstrations now. You see what's happening in Guagua. In a case like that, for instance, um, where one would argue that the community has been, I don't know, disenfranchised by the circumstances of lack of water. Yes. What w- and they haven't signed anything with anybody. It's just an expectation that, you know, municipality delivers water to them. Yeah. What kind of litigation would that be? Okay, that is something completely different uh, to what we've been speaking about up until now. Um, what I'm envisaging there is a class action where a certain community feels disenfranchised or feels that their rights have not been protected, and they as a community would band together to bring an action against the wrongdoer. Um, so, for example, if it's to say that the water that's been provided to them is, um, is, is not good quality water, they would band together and they would institute action as a class or as a group. They don't have to go individually one by one by one to have a thousand actions brought against the same wrongdoer. They would band together. Y- yes. So it, it, it will be a class action, but what would they be would they be suing for negligence? What would they be? No. In that particular case, they would be trying to enforce their constitutional rights. Ah. Um, it would not be an action you know, for a wrongdoing as such, mm. but it would be trying to enforce a particular right that is owed to them in terms of the constitution. Mm. Mm. Lovely, lovely. Maria, I mean, just, just for those who are listening with who are going to be taking their children on camp and so on, what, is, what have we learned from this case? You know, what should we walk away having to think about going forward? Yeah, look, the loss of a child is, is a tragic event, um, and, and we hope that no parent has to go through that. But on the other hand, one has to consider that institutions that provide services to the masses, like to, um, to consumers who come into a shopping center, to uh, patients that will come to a hospital, to children that go to a school, they have to guard against um, events or claims or, and sometimes spurious claims that may come against them. And I understand that uh, indemnity clauses and disclaimers help to protect the business interests of those entities, and I do think that they are necessary in our law. But as individual consumers, I think the most important thing to remember when it comes to these clauses is that we must read what it is that we are required to sign because in many cases we are deemed to have read it anyway. When we put our signature down, we are presumed to have read the document that we are signing. Um, we must know that there are these sort of clauses act to deprive us of the right to sue and we must ask questions and if we are not prepared to give away our rights or we don't understand why we are required to do so we should raise the questions and negotiate with the other party um, to possibly change the, the, the indemnity in some way 
to maybe make it not applicable to certain circumstances. But ultimately, there is then bargaining power between the two parties to negotiate what it is that they ultimately agree to. So, so in other words, if you can exclude it, it just go into that indemnity form and exclude certain circumstances, if, if yes. possible. Yes. Um, you know, I, I, I make it a mission when I'm faced with an indemnity or an exclusion clause to say I'm not giving away my rights to sue you if you have been culpable. Mm. So if you harm me because of your culpable conduct, I will sue you. I'm not going to stand aside and say I, I won't. Um, there are difficulties that arise then. I mean, what if the school says you can't come on the camp? What does that mean? Yeah. If I don't sign, does that mean my child is deprived of an education? Uh, these are all considerations that form part of the bigger picture, which is in the process of being debated through our courts. So there's no easy answer, but I would suggest that in each particular case, individual parents or patients or consumers, customers that go to a shopping center just as long as you're aware that you do have rights and that they, those rights should be protected and um, that you are entitled to negotiate at the very least. Maria Filipides, thank you so much for your time. Uh, partner at Weber Wenzel, we were discussing indemnity forms and disclaimers and so on. That conversation will be available as a podcast.